So uh, if you know my family or uh, you've been in Nazareth before in our home or been in the congregation, you know that uh, my wife has a green thumb and loves her gardens. And this year I was commissioned to dig an even bigger garden to plant more flowers. And I did that willingly. Um, and uh, she just is so into it and, and she has a knack for it. And God has gifted her to be creative in that way and to do amazing work in the yard, in the garden, growing vegetables, flowers, all kinds of things that are just incredible. Well, much to her dismay and uh, mine, because we're together in this, um, uh, this year there seems to be some sort of uh, disease at work in some of the well-established plants. The leaves are wrinkling. The flowers are not blooming in the way that they should. They look weak and sad. And the only solution that we know of from what we can gather about whatever's happening here is to rip them out and to burn them. Because this disease, whatever it is, is going to keep spreading. There's a proper name for it. What, I don't know what it is. But there's, this disease is going to keep spreading if we don't eradicate the problem. And I said, can we just like take it out and plant it in the woods and like hope for the best? And I was like, no, like the bugs that are eating it are going to eat other plants and it's just going to spread to all of the rest of the good garden. Jess loves these plants. They've been growing for five years. We don't want to rip them out, but it's the only solution to the problem because otherwise it spreads and brings this disease into the rest of the yard, into the rest of the good growth. Today, as we continue our series in Numbers in chapter 31, what I want to talk about is, is the idea that, that we have a problem in our lives. There's a problem at work in the world. There's a problem at work in us, and it's, it's called sin. And so settle in. Here we go. It's going to be an interesting talk. Um, and the idea I want to go after today is that, is that we can either, like we have a choice. We can either die to self or we can die in sin. We can either die to self or we can die in sin. And sin is this disease that has, is, has, will continue ruining the garden that God has created here on earth. God's good creation that he has given us, sin is at work. And it's, and it's trying to push back against the advancement of his kingdom. So sin just... I mean, it's a much bigger definition than this, but briefly, I would say this. Sin is, is putting anything on the throne besides God. Self, others, whatever it is. It's self-serving. And it's putting something on the throne other than God. And going all the way back to Genesis, we see that the, the, the solution for sin, the, the, or the penalty rather for sin, is, is expulsion from the garden. God says, okay, original humanity, Adam and Eve, you've rebelled against my authority. You've put yourselves on the throne. You're out. You're not allowed to live forever which in itself is actually a mercy because if they continue to live in this hellish nightmare that they've created, it just gets worse and worse. So God puts an end to it and it says, you will no longer be able to live for eternity. And they're expelled from the garden. And the consequence of their sin is continued down through all of humanity and is spreading, you know, all through our lives and, you know, being all sorts of problematic. We encounter it daily in our own lives. We encounter it in uh, the world when we run into one another and, in our bodies, in our civilizations, and so forth. But it must be dealt with to return us, to return the world to its intended goodness. When God created everything, it was good. To advance God's kingdom on earth with him in his right place on the throne, he must come against 
sin and brokenness and put it right. And as much as we get uncomfortable talking about sin, and I just love that the first time I've really ever gone after this in the last little while is like on loudspeakers to the entire neighborhood. Okay, we don't like to talk about sin, but here's the truth of the matter. We actually want God to deal with it. We want him to put things right. We want him to bring justice, but we don't like is that it incriminates us too. That's why we're like, I don't really want to talk about this but we need to because the problem is with inside of us and it's in the world. And so we have a choice to either die to self or to die in sin. And that's, so that's a little bit of what we're going to cover in this passage today. All right. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to numbers 31. If you're looking in the U version app, I apologize. I'm using my older NIV because I like it better and I'm more comfortable with it. And I didn't feel like having my big new one today. So the words are going to look a little bit different. Don't anybody panic. You're in the right place. Numbers 31. Now, if you remember, The Midianites were a group of people who had hired a guy named Balaam to come and speak curses over them. And he wasn't able to do it. Do you remember this story, the talking donkey and everything? And Balaam isn't able to put these curses on the people. He can only bless the people. And then apparently Balaam came up with another plan and said, I know how we'll get these Israelites off course and how we will influence them. We're going to send some of our women into their camp to tempt them to be, you know, have relations with them for the sake of the kids that are here. And all these people are led astray and they fall into idolatry and they start worshiping the Baals, right? These things, B-A-A-L, they worship these idols of Baal. And so in chapter 31, you have God saying, look, I told you to go around the Midianites and ignore them, but they decided to come against my kingdom. Now I am going to put myself against them. This chapter is devastating. It's uncomfortable to our American sensitivities. Hang on. All right. Chapter 31 of Numbers says this, the Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people, meaning Moses is going to die soon. So Moses said to the people, arm some of your men to go to war against the Midianites and to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes of Israel. So 12,000 men armed for battle, uh, a thousand from each tribe were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle, a thousand from each tribe, along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, if you guys remember him in that crazy story. Uh, He was the priest who took with him articles from the sanctuary, probably the Ark of the Covenant, and the trumpets for signaling. They fought against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every man. Among their victims were Evi, Rechem, Zor, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Now listen to this. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. So he's implicated in this problem, right? The Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. They burned all the towns where the Midianites had settled, as well as all their camps. They took all the plunder and spoils, including the people and animals, and brought the captives, spoils, and plunder to Moses and Eleazar the priest and the Israelite assembly at their camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho. So they're right on the edge of the promised land, right across from the city of Jericho. Moses, Eleazar, the priest, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds who returned from the battle. Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord and what happened at Peor, where they got into relations with them and worshiped the Baals. So that a plague struck the Lord's people. Now kill all the boys and every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourselves every girl who has never slept with a man. Holy crap. Okay, this is crazy. All right, like 
I'm going to do my best. Part of the problem here, you're not going to pick up on it, I believe, is that these soldiers went into the towns where they saw these women that they'd previously been with and were like, let's leave them alive. And Moses was like, hello? Like, this was the problem. Like, why would you re-tempt yourselves with this situation? All right, I think that is some of what's happening there. Now listen, this chapter is nuts, all right? I really wished Adam could have just preached this one and I didn't have to. Nor did I want it on loudspeakers to the neighborhood. But anyway, here we are. God's providence, right? There is plenty of mystery here that's not going to be covered satisfactorily in a half an hour, satisfactorily in a half an hour talk. It's just not. Uh, I pictured it like this talk is like a Ferrari. It's going to move from point A to point B. It's not going to haul the groceries, okay? Like it's not going, like everything is not going to come along in this vehicle today. There's just too much here. There's too much going on. And so uh, if you are interested in talking about it more, dialoguing about it, I'm all for it. I'll talk to you afterwards. No, I won't. It's Father's Day. We'll do it next week. Uh, Pastor Adam can talk about it, but I I will talk more about it and dialogue with you. I don't promise to have more answers because there is a lot of mystery here, but just understand that like I'm giving a very high altitude, like quick jaunt through this chapter. Okay. But I am open to more dialogue. Here's the thing. God has one view of sin. All right. He has one view of sin. It's a disease that must be dealt with. It is problematic to all of creation. You, me, everything, everything good that he created, sin is against. It wants to war against his kingdom. And so he, he knows that it must be dealt with. And he has one response to it, judge it. To look upon it and judge it as guilty, right? But here's, what, here's what's interesting. He, he, he needs to do this. He needs to identify it and, and, and root it out so as to bring about the kingdom that he originally created, to bring it about in purity, to bring the goodness of shalom, this this justice and peace of God across the earth that he had always intended. So he has to judge it. Here's the question though. When, When you judge something, right, there's two options. It's either good or it's bad. It's either innocent or guilty, right? Like these are the options when you judge something. And so this is a mystery for us. In this chapter, in this book of Numbers, there's this mystery that that God chooses to give some mercy, right? In this, all throughout the book of Numbers, we see God give mercy to to Israelites. He chose them. It's that simple. I'm going to give mercy to these people. I'm going to advance my kingdom through them. Why them? They were the littlest of all the nations. Like, who knows? Like, this is just God's providence. He decides to choose them. So, and essentially, though, they are sinful, broken people. We see that again and again in the book of Numbers, right? And yet God chooses to have mercy on them through the atonement. They've been given the covenant. They've been given the law. They've been given the promises of God. And he gives them this means to get rid of their guilt through the atonement. Why? Because he chose them. Because he loved them. Because he gave promises to Abraham and said, I'm going to keep this people alive and make nations out of them. I'm going to bless the nations through them. And so he just picks them and has mercy on them. But the other side of the mystery is that we see that God chooses to condemn some as seen in this chapter, right? He just says, these people, these Midianites, I'm against them. I'm coming against the sin in their lives. These people had intentionally lived for themselves. They had intentionally come against the kingdom of God. If you read, I think it's Deuteronomy, God had told Moses, go around Moab. Don't even talk to these people, just move around them. And they came against God's kingdom. And God says, okay, here we go. Like I will come against 
you. And so there's this mystery of God choosing to go against these people who are living in their own selfishness, who are coming against his kingdom. Both are guilty of sin, right? Like both, both of them are guilty. We've seen that abundantly all throughout numbers, Israel continually plague after plague. They keep messing things up. They're living in their brokenness. They are guilty, but Israel receives mercy. God chooses to give them mercy through the atonement sacrifices, which we've talked about several times. The Midianites receive condemnation in their guilt, in their sin, because they're coming against the advancement of God's people, against God's kingdom. So this, at least for me, raises a question that I know many of you have asked before. We, we deal with this question on a regular basis in our lives, I know. How can God be love? and do this condemnation? How can, how can God be loving and act like this, right? Like that's, I, I read this chapter and I'm like, ha, ah, like what the what? Like, like how, how is that a loving God, right? If you're honest with yourself, you're asking that question at some point in your life or you have friends who will, family members who will. Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 I, I join with him here. I echo his sentiment in Romans 9, where he says, who is the clay that they question the potter? Like, we are inept to question the maker in some ways of, of how he's going to do this justice. Paul's saying like, we are all just a lump of clay. So God's going to make some for life and some are going to end up in condemnation. It's a mystery. Like I said, it's a mystery that I... If you have better answers than that, I would love to talk with you about it. I'm open. I would love to have more dialogue about this. But there is this mystery here that in some ways we have to just raise up our hands and say, God, I don't know. I don't know. It's beyond me. And I, I think I'm in good company if Paul's doing it, um, that I can join him in that. But God is loving. If Jesus is a picture of God, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God, and we see Jesus as totally love, God is love, the scriptures tell us. And yet he is totally just, totally fair. He loves you. He loves me. He comes against the sin in our lives, right? He cannot stand the evil in the world and he's coming against it now and in the final judgment. But this justice and this love are actually two sides of the same coin, all right? Justice is, in my opinion, justice is an expression of God's love. God hates sin. He sees the destruction that it wreaks in your lives, in my life. And he says, I want to put a stop to this. I want them to live a full life. I want them to see the promises of God come to fruition. This is why he's been on a rescue mission ever since Genesis 3. As soon as sin happens and comes into the picture and the rebellion starts, God says, I'm coming after them. I will pursue them. I want them to have full life. And he puts this rescue plan into action. And he chooses Abraham and then he chooses the people of Israel to be part of the rescue plan. I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine um, you have some strange growth, some strange skin issue. It's growing worse and worse. Changing colors, got weird hair coming out of it. 
All right, you got an ugly picture in your head? Okay. You go to the doctor, <clears throat> and the doctor says, you have cancer. You have cancer. Speaking truth to it, right? You have cancer. We must do something about that. We're going to have to cut that out of you. And hopefully that's as minimal as it is, right? We're going to have to do business on this thing. We have to take this out of you because it's going to spread into the rest of your body. It's true. It's going to hurt. There's a surgery involved. We don't want it that way. But wouldn't that doctor be unloving if he or she didn't do that? Didn't declare truth and didn't say, this is the problem. Let's root it out. You understand what I'm saying? The, the action of coming against this thing to pull it out hurts, it's just, it's fair, but it's love. It's loving to deal with it. It needs to, it needs to go, right? Or like the, like the plants with the disease at our house, like for the sake of the rest of the garden, we're going to have to root these things out and say, they're done. Like this has to go away. We love them. We don't want to destroy those plants. We don't want to hurt them in that way, but it's going to have to happen for the sake of the greater garden, right? So God is loving and just simultaneously. Justice is an extension of his love to bring purity into the world. Now, as Americans, I think in the West in particular, we just so want a loving God. We just want a loving God. Like he's just all love. He's so nice. He's like Santa Claus. He's like this great granddad who just is so loving. But like, we're like, yeah, we want justice for them. We want justice for them. We see that injustice over there. We want that dealt with. That injustice over there, that should be dealt with. And then it's like, yeah, but what about you? And we're like, whoa, I just want a loving God, right? Again, if we're honest, you know that you do this. I do this too all the time. But would God not be unloving if he didn't deal with injustice and sin in the world? Wouldn't he be an aloof powerless God if he didn't actually come against it? He'd be no God at all if he didn't come against these things that have ruined his good creation. Let me ask you this question. If God is all loving, like what sin should he tolerate? What brokenness should he allow to keep going? For how long? Right? Like these are philosophical questions. I understand that, but I think we need to ask them if we're going to understand the character of God as being loving and just. It's actually an act of love that God judges sin and says, no more, no more now. And in the final day of judgment, as the scriptures call it, there's a a famous book by an author named Miroslav Volf, who was a a Croatian uh, teacher, preacher, leader. Uh, He's written a, a book called exclusion and embrace, which is all about reconciliation in the world. And, um, he argues, uh, for pacifism in a way in this book that is, fascinating. If you can't hear it at home, there's a plane passing over. Anybody seen Nate Bergazzi talk about this on Netflix where he does a a show outside and it's helicopters constantly over him the whole time? Okay, here's where we are. So I've now equated myself with Paul today and Nate Bergazzi, a comedian. Okay. So Wolf in this book, Exclusion and Embrace, is talking about pacifism. and, And he says, people want to argue for a God that's all loving, that doesn't do justice. And he says it doesn't work. A God that doesn't bring condemnation against injustice someday actually doesn't lead to a people who are pacifists and loving. He says, how can you 
How can you give people a pass? How can you be loving when these people are raping family members of yours, slitting throats, burning down villages? How could you possibly have any consolation in your soul to think, well, God's loving. I guess I'll be, I'll be loving too. He says, what actually enables us to be loving and actually have mercy and grace is to know that yes, someday God will deal with this problem. God will put an end to this. So I don't need to bring judgment. God does. Someday God will put this right. That God will defend the innocent and condemn the guilty. And so I would encourage you, it's a thick book, but if you want to even just find that quote somewhere, V-O-L-F, Miroslav Volf, it's just, it's an incredible book and incredible passage there. But we want God to come against injustice. If he doesn't, he's unloving, all right? And so that's what we see happening in this first section of this chapter 31 is these people have come against the kingdom of God living in total debauchery and God says, okay, no more. I'm putting a stop to this so that my kingdom can advance. And he has mercy on Israel for some reason because he chose them and he's gonna make his promises come true through them and he has condemnation for the Midianites. It's a mystery, but it's somehow both loving and just. Read on with me the rest of 31. Well, not the rest of it, just a couple of verses here. But in, in verse 31, we see that these 12,000 soldiers have gone out as part of this judgment process of God's and, and something fascinating happens. When they come back, they have all this you know, plunder of gold and sheep and animals and stuff. And God tells Moses, all right, give some to the people who didn't even go out and fight. Give some to the Levites, the priesthood. Some is gonna be offered. Some goes to the soldiers and their families. So there's this required return of what they have plundered. But then these soldiers do something interesting. It says, then the, uh, verse 48, sorry. Then the officers who were over the units of the army, the commanders of thousands <clears throat> uh, and commanders of hundreds went to Moses and said to him, your servants have counted the soldiers under our command and not one is missing. 12,000 went out, right? Not one is missing. So we have brought as an offering to the Lord, the gold articles each of us acquired, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. These soldiers, they see not just what's required of them in response to this holy, just God. They go above and beyond and they say, you know what? You see, it says it's a sacrifice of atonement. They know, they know that they too deserve to die. They know that they are guilty in God's eyes for the sins of the people or whatever it is. Like they know that they, they deserve this death. And they say, you know, what? We, we want to pour over even more worship to God for having been merciful on us. We want to, we want to give back all the things we've got. Like we are just so grateful for the way that God has cared for us, for keeping them alive. And honestly, for not condemning them likewise, because I think they know that they deserve it now that they've seen the power of God's justice at work. Friends, I, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't tell you and tell myself regularly, like we need to recognize our own depravity, <laughs> our own brokenness, the, the stuff that's in, at work inside of us that comes against one another, that comes against God's good creation. And we need to worship God for his mercy and say, God, thank you. Thank you so much that for some reason you have chosen little me and brought me into your kingdom. I don't deserve it. I want to go above and beyond in my worship of you. I, Again, I don't know why you have chosen me in Jesus, but thank you. I give you praise for everything that you have done. We are not the defender of God's kingdom, okay? 
Some people interpret it this way, like now we need to go out and do justice. We need to go out and like bomb people and kill people who are against God's kingdom. No, 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 no. That stops with Jesus. Now we all have the opportunity to be under God's new covenant. We're not Israel the fighter. We are actually Israel the broken. We're Israel the sinners who who should fall at God's feet pleading for mercy, saying, thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for offering this to me. Because friends, it's at work in all of us. The brokenness of creation, the sin in the world is at work in all of us. And, And we are ruiners of God's good creation. When you fight with your spouse in anger, when you lash out, when you're greedy with your time or your money, that addiction that's at work inside of you to whatever it is, all these things at work inside of us, like we are actually acting against God's good creation in those things. And so the same sin that we identify so easily in other people is at work in all of us too. We rebel against God. The scriptures say there is none righteous, none, none of us, (laughs) like none of us pass the bar. We are all regularly putting idols in the place of the father. We want to put ourselves on the throne instead of God. And Paul tells us that the wages of that, what you earn from that is death. Whether that's willingly walking away from God into a life of brokenness or for all of eternity, like either way, the wage of that, what you earn from that is death and separation from God, as we see in this passage. And the scriptures the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, our conscience, Paul tells us in Romans 1, it all condemns us. It all says, you are broken. You know it, admit it. (laughs) That's the gospel. You know this, admit it. Humble yourselves. And so this is why I landed on after this, studying this passage is that we have the disease. We have the cancer. And we can either die to ourselves by admitting that, or we die in it, right? We end up separated from God for all of eternity. We can either die to ourselves and take on Christ or we die in our sin. But praise God for the gospel, right? The atonement sacrifice has been offered in finality. It's done. And now all we need to do is latch onto that and say, I need this as well for me. I am broken. I have the disease. Please, doctor, root it out of me. And it happens through the cross, through dying to self, positionally in Jesus, that one time saying, Lord, I'm taking you on for myself. And then progressively, just in our lives, daily saying, oh, I've got this idol on the throne. Oh, I've been worshiping this thing. Take it away from me. So let me ask you a question. Like the soldiers in that passage, do you recognize a need for salvation beyond yourself that you can't do it? C.S. Lewis in, in The Great Divorce says, uh, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. Or those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that, and I would say all that are in hell permanently in life, there's there's this struggle against sin that, that most of us just choose into. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened for them. 
Friends, we can either die to self or we can die in our sin. We can admit we're part of the problem and turn our eyes to Jesus and believe in the fullness of his life, in the fullness of his love for us, that he paid the price for our sin. Now, let me say something. I don't know what churches you've been to before. I don't know what you've been grown up, uh, what you grew up in being taught, what books you've read. There are some famous sermons that say, God abhors you. God dangles you over the fires of hell like a spider. Does that sound like the God of love? Seriously, does that sound like a God of love? No. So you can instinctively reject that. That is not the God of the gospel. The God of the gospel says, you are headed towards hell. I love you. Choose Jesus. Choose the atonement and come into the fullness of life. God loves you and has done something to advance his kingdom on earth in your hearts and in mind and in all of creation someday at the final day of judgment. And he has given you a way to be freed from the slavery to sin because we are slaves to it. I wanna read something from the book of Romans. Can I encourage you to just like read Romans this summer? Just soak in it. It's, there's just so much here. Paul says this in chapter six, verse four. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Friends, that's victory. That's liberty, that our body of sin is made rendered powerless by the gospel when we take on this atonement of Jesus. Uh, for we know that since Christ, well, sorry, I lost my place. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now listen to this. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We no longer need to be slaves to this. We no longer need to just you know, instinctually put these other idols on the throne. We can actually, by the spirit, put God on the throne and find the fullness of life. Paul goes on to say in Romans 7 and Romans 8 that we get to live by the spirit, that his spirit is inside of those who call him Lord, giving them power over idolatry, power over the sin that's at work in all of our flesh. All of that is possible in Christ. Why? All of humanity is enslaved to sin and unable to live the shalom, just life of God, the righteous life. But what did Jesus do? He comes as human and lives it out perfectly totally righteous, totally holy, totally loving, does all of the obedient things. And we can either take on his righteousness, like the righteousness by faith in him, or we can take on death by faith in ourselves. That's the choice. We can either choose him and die to self, or we can die in our sins because we have faith in ourselves. All of humanity deserves death and separation now and for eternity. But Jesus came and died as a sacrifice for atonement so that we could take him on fulfilling the covenant promises of God here that are promised to Israel, even in this very book of Numbers. Israel, as we've seen in Numbers, fails to live out the covenant repeatedly. Yet Jesus came 
and fulfilled this very covenant. Everything that was called for in these first five books of the Bible, Jesus lives out in completeness and perfection, the human side of it. Jesus is the perfect Israel. And we take him on and we say, yes, he is mine. I am his. His righteousness is mine by faith. Friends, we are all stuck. Without the spirit, we are all stuck as slaves to sin. Slaves to the law and its condemnation. And we have no power to change. We deserve to be condemned like the Midianites, right? Because we regularly come against the kingdom advancement of God. But Romans 8 says that we have been given the spirit. I just want to read a couple verses from this. Therefore, like we deserve to be condemned, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, to be atonement for us. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. Other versions say he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in Jesus? No, so they might be fully met in us us, all the requirements of the law are met in us when we have faith in Christ. We who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Friends, we have been given the spirit of God to choose out of sin and death. All of the perfect obedience, all of the spirit led life of Jesus has been given to us. We are no longer under condemnation because of his atonement. We are now co-heirs with him of a sinless, perfect new creation that God is bringing about and will bring about in finality someday when he judges and brings justice to the entire earth. We have that by dying to self and saying, I'm part of the problem. Not worrying about everyone else saying, I'm part of the problem. The sin is at work in me and I need a solution that is outside of myself and it's Jesus and his atonement. New creation is birthed inside of us now, and we get to look forward to it in its fullness in the final day. So we can live in response to God's great love, his perfect love in Jesus, and let it motivate our heart to holy living. This is the gospel motivated obedience that we talk about regularly. Or we can choose to continue to say, nope, I've got it. I've got it. Tim Keller uh, says, we need our hearts to be reoriented. And only love can do that. Fear of God doesn't actually do that. Legalism doesn't work. We preach it all the time. I've said enough about that. Only love reorients our hearts. Only love can shock us into a state of true submission and a humble response. He says this, you do not know how much Christ loved you until you see how much he suffered for you. He takes the penalty of justice that we deserve all in his love so that we can take on his righteousness, his full life, his perfect humanity in the spirit. We get this as a gift. So friends, today's the day. Scripture says this in a couple different ways. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe for the first time, you're being called to take up a new position in Christ and say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I know I deserve condemnation. I've come against the kingdom of God all my life. I do it daily. I don't want that anymore. Jesus, I need your atonement. Maybe today is the day that you need to say, I'm done, I wanna to die to self. I'm done. 
I die with Christ today. Maybe this is the first time for you to do that and I encourage you to. Or today is the day for many of us who've accepted the gospel a long time ago to reorient our hearts anew, to see how much Christ suffered on our behalf in his love, to see justice done so that we could somehow be given his righteousness, his fullness of life. And guess what? That applies every day, every day. This is not just a positional thing. It's a progressive thing that every day we get to say, you know what? I need to die to self in this area. I need to stop putting this thing on the throne. I need to stop seeking out this addiction and say, you know what? Because of the love of Christ, I want his full life that he's offered me. Friends, we can die to self and find full life or we can die in our sin. Would you pray with me?